We continue this morning with our series in Proverbs. <clears throat> now, when I was uh, a kid, let's say 10 years old, <laughs> those of you who were last week, you got that joke, thank you. When I was a kid, though, um, I, was, I, started to, I started to get into music at an early age, and uh, what really sort of changed my, my whole musical landscape understanding was when I discovered my dad's record collection. So my dad still to this day has this great, huge collection of records, mostly, you know, vi all vinyl records, mostly from the 70s. Um, and man, just the music is just incredible. I mean, we're talking like, he's got like original Eric Clapton stuff, and Janis Joplin, and Jimi Hendrix, and Led Zeppelin, and the band, and Steely Dan, and Van Morrison, and the Allman Brothers, and B.B. King, and like just, I mean, this is some really good music. And apologies if you're like, no, secular music's evil. Well, that's your opinion, but I love this music. It's so good. Um, and but what really changed my whole, like, what this was the the most significant one that I listened to was when I pulled out an album that looked like this. Mm, wow, the Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Well, I put that on. And let me tell you, it rocked my world musically. Uh, it's one of those albums you just sit and you just listen and you just, wow. And, uh, and so then I just, he's got all these Pink Floyd albums and I became a huge Pink Floyd fan. Uh, and to this day, I still love Pink Floyd. And uh, this is really, really interesting music. Well, anyway, we were, we've been uh, in our little worship team practice here. We've been jamming on some Pink Floyd. And we were talking about... Um, we're talking about the song uh, this morning, actually. We're talking about the song Time. And uh, let me just read you some of the lyrics, because one of the things about Pink Floyd, not only are they incredible musicians, but the lyrics that, that um, these men wrote are just really, really profound. And, and it's funny, because um, uh, Neil and I were walking this week, and he said, man, I was listening to some uh, preacher, I forget who it was. And who was it, Neil, that, that used the... the uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, he was listening to some well-known preacher, and he quoted, oh, it was uh, Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, yeah. And he quoted lyrics from some old song, and Neil was like, man, you got to do that. So I thought, okay, well, hey, this is perfect. So Time by Pink Floyd. And uh, just listen to the, it marks how, how years seem to go by so quickly. And it kind of reminds me, actually, of the book of Ecclesiastes. Certainly not on the same level. It's not inspired by God, but still really good. This is what it says. Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. So you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter. Never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I had something more to say. 
wow, it's like, it's, that's cool, right? And, and it's kind of, it's actually kind of depressing. Um, <laughs> but it paints a true picture for many people, doesn't it? So life just sort of seems to go, and, and next thing you know, you know, you're, what, 75 years old. And you think, what happened to my life? Like, you know, and uh, even me, you know, I'm only 34 years old. And there's many times that I go, holy smokes, like, what happened to the last... Ten years, like where did they go? And it feels like as you get older, time speeds up or something. Uh, the first thing that I think about when I start to think about how quickly time seems to be going is I, I think about, am I using my time wisely? You know, I think especially about my kids, you know. Am I being the kind of dad that I want to be with my kids? And then I think about my wife. Am I being the kind of husband that I want to be for my wife and my, with, the, with the time that I have? I think about my relationship with God, and I think, well, am I, am, I, am I spending time with God in the way that I should be? Uh, in relation to the world, am I being the kind of neighbor that I should be, and the kind of citizen that I should be, considering all that's going on in the world today? With the time, the limited time that I have, am I being productive, am I being useful, am I using the time wisely? So, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, we all waste time, right? We do. We waste time. And it's a shame. Uh, a year ago uh, so or so ago, um, the Apple iPhone uh, came out with a, an app called Screen Time. And, and you can go onto Screen Time, and it tells you how many hours, minutes you're spending in different apps and how, many time, you know, how, many, how much time you're spending looking at your screen. Well, you know what? When you do that for the first time, it can be scary. Um, first time I did it, I said, oh, my soul, that's not good. I'm spending a lot of time on this phone. Now, maybe you don't have a, a smartphone and that's not your problem, but maybe you watch copious amounts of television or Netflix or... You know, you love to sit and do word searches for hours. Or, you know, I had a, I had a friend, a uh, neighbor, not, not necessarily a friend, but a neighbor in um, Perth Andover. I shouldn't say it wasn't, it wasn't like an enemy or anything, just a neighbor. Um, and, uh, and he was a retired man. And uh, he spent an unbelievable number of hours tending to his lawn. I just couldn't believe the amount of time and detail that he, when he cared about this grass growing in front of his house. I mean, I think he, I, sometimes he went out and measured each blade of grass to make sure it was exactly <laughs> the same. But I mean, I just, you know, <clears throat> and I was thinking about that, you know, he's a retired man, he's in the last chapter of his life. Is this really what God wants for this guy to be doing with the last chapter of his life? And he's a believer, he's a Christian, to be tending to his grass. So here's the question for us to be thinking about this morning as we're thinking about time and the time, the limited time that we have on this earth. The question is this. What vision do you have for how you will spend the time you have left on earth? How do you imagine the time that you have left on this earth, whatever that is, whether you're 18 years old or you're 80 years old? What vision do you have for how you will spend the time that you have left on earth. It seems like many of us struggle to be good stewards of time. And I believe that God has called all of us to greater things than what we currently are experiencing. I believe God wants to use every single person on earth for His glory, to actively engage in His kingdom, no matter how old or young. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, it says this. It says, You are not your own, you, for you were bought with a price. And we just celebrated that this morning, the, the great cost that God paid for us. And then the so what, right? So Jesus did this for us, and God bought us, those of us who are believers. He, you know, we have, we have received the gift of salvation. So what? So what? So this. So glorify God in your body. So if you're already a Christian, you're not your own. Christ died for you. He paid the price for you. John Piper says in, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he said, you now belong doubly to God if you're a Christian. He made you and he bought you. So the meaning of your life, your ultimate purpose, for which God paid such an enormous price, is to glorify God in your earthly body. That's what we're here for. That's the, ultimately what it's all about. To glorify God. And if you're not yet a Christian, God offers you the invitation to join in on this, to find meaning and purpose and joy, to belong doubly to God, and to do what you were made to do. His glory is our purpose. So the sad thing is that so many of us, Christians and non Christians alike, miss out on all that God has for us. Because, let's face it, because we're just plain lazy. Because we live in a culture of ease and leisure and comfort. Because we often think of work as a burden. And as something that we have to get through so we can get home and put on the jogging pants and the Netflix and get at that bag of Doritos. And I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> I think God wants us to have a different view of work than that. Instead of thinking of work as drudgery, as something we have to get through so we can get to the fun part of life, I don't think that's what God wants. We need a proper theology of work. And we need a healthy understanding of Sabbath as well. That's part of it. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And we need to recognize that laziness, let's call it what it is, it's sin. So let's dive into some of that today as we go to Proverbs. Laziness is one of those topics in Proverbs uh, that is, it's repeated over and over again and all throughout the book. Um, and a reminder, Proverbs is a bunch of all these little short, disconnected sayings that give very practical logical wisdom advice for living well. So, we're going to turn to Proverbs, and uh, there's, we're jumping all over the place, so don't even bother turning in your Bible because you will get lost, but they're all going to be on the screen. Okay? So let's go to Proverbs, to begin Proverbs 10, verses 4 to 5. It says this, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. How about Proverbs 12? A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Proverbs 12, 24. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Proverbs 13, verse 4. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. 
Proverbs 21.25, similar to the last one. Despite their desires, they want all kinds of things. The lazy will come to ruin, for their hand refuses to work. Proverbs 26 says, The lazy person claims, I like this one, The lazy person claims, There's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. Now, what's that about? That's about excuses. <laughs> That's what that is, right? It's like, hey, man, come give us a hand. We need your help with this thing. Oh, no, I'm sure I saw a lion out there. Um, <laughs> I'm really sure there's a lion out there on the road. I'm sorry, but I don't want to go out and get eaten by that lion that I'm really sure I saw. Um, you know, we do that too, right? Hey, why don't you come work out at the gym with me? Oh, oh I got to go uh, get my uh, carburetor waxed. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what that's about. Okay, verse 14. This one's good too. It's kind of funny actually. As the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. <laughs> Lots of movement, but going nowhere. Going nowhere. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. <laughs> and another translation says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> it's funny, but it gets at self-destruction is what it's, it's right. I mean, like, you're too lazy to even feed yourself. It's going to lead to your death. It's not good. Uh, and then back to Proverbs chapter 6. It says this, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. Be like the ants. They don't need someone telling them what to do. They just have a good work ethic, you know, they're, and they're self-motivated. Uh, and then verse 9, But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Hmm. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Okay, so you get the picture. You get the picture. God's word obviously is concerned about how we spend our time. Now, I want to say this. This is important. There's three, there's three things here that I'm not trying to do by reading these scriptures and preaching this message. Okay, this is important because some of you might have all kinds of feelings already. About, well, I feel really guilty. Okay, this sermon, number one, this sermon isn't meant to pick on people who tend to be lazy. All right, so you might be picturing in your head the 30-year-old guy living in his parents' basement who doesn't have a job, right? The truth is, even those of us who tend to be fairly busy uh, we still mismanage time. We still waste time. Okay, so this message isn't to pick on those people that you might have stereotypically in your head. This message is for you, okay? Point the finger at yourself. Um, this message is also a call. Uh, uh, it's a call for all of us to be better stewards of the time God has given us. Number two, this sermon isn't meant to put a guilt trip on those of you who have health issues that prevent you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, because I recognize that inability is not the same as laziness. So lots of grace to you. You know, if you just, for you know, multiple reasons, health, age, whatever, you just can't do all the things that you want to do, that you would love to do, I understand that. So lots of grace. And three, this sermon is not meant to push anybody towards busyness. Okay, 
Because being too busy is not the solution to being too lazy. It's really important that we understand that because a lot of us don't tend towards laziness. We tend towards the opposite. We tend towards burnout and doing too much. And for some of you, the message that you need to hear this morning isn't get moving, it's slow down. God designed Sabbath into uh, His design for, the, for creation, and He commanded His people to observe it so that we would consistently take a break from work. Because he, he knew that we would have this propensity towards never stopping. And so he commanded you, he commanded us, stop, take a break. I love in the 23rd Psalm, you know, we often, you know, read this, you know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You think about that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But sometimes that we as sheep need to be made to lie down. And, 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 and sometimes we got to do that. we got to have enough sense to stop and rest, to give attention to the health of our bodies and our minds and our souls. Um, and by the way, Sabbath doesn't necessarily need to be a day of the week. We're not under the law anymore, and so we're free in that way. But this principle of Sabbath still applies, and you can build Sabbath into your schedule and routine, however it works for you. On, on Twitter a couple days ago, uh, a preacher named Rich Velotis said, Had Jesus not pulled his disciples away from the frenzy of ministry to rest and pray, it's possible they would have either died of exhaustion, quit following him, or ended up addicted to their work. Three very real temptations we face. So, what I'm saying this morning is we need a balance when it comes to this stuff. It's important that we rest and recuperate and, and go ahead and enjoy leisure time. Take those voca- uh, vacations. No guilt for enjoying a great vacation. Stop and smell the roses. Read that book. Go see that movie. Listen to that album. All right. Take that nap. Man, I read a book, uh, some of you may have read it, John Ortberg, called The Life You've Always Wanted, and it's about the spiritual disciplines. Yeah, and uh, in one of the very first pages of the book, he, he talks about how important it is that we slow down and get rest, and he says, for some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do right now is to put this book away and go take a nap. <laughs> I'm like, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, in my last church, a lot of people did that on Sunday morning while I was preaching, and I just, they're so, so spiritual, you know? (laughs) So yes, take that Sabbath, take that Sabbath, have that rest, you need to, you must, but don't live in that zone, don't stay in the Sabbath zone, don't stay on permanent vacation, That's not what life is about. God has called us not to a life of leisure. Don't worship at the altar of retirement. Mm -hmm. Our goal in life shouldn't be relaxation. We're not working for the weekend. We shouldn't be trying to get through the work part of life so we can get to the fun part of life. So as I said earlier, we need a good theology of work. What does that mean? 
Well, that means we need, to, we need to have God's way of thinking when it comes to the idea of work in general. So often, like I said, we think of work as drudgery and work as this difficult, awful thing. And yet, and yet God has a different view of work. God has a high view of work, a positive view of work. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God working himself to create the universe. He works six days and then he rests, right? God himself is a worker. So obviously work is not sin, work is not bad, God does it. And we see in God's good and perfect sinless creation the responsibility of the man to work. So even before we have the fall of man, before we have sin enter the world, God says to Adam, work, you have a job to do, care for this garden, all before sin. So that tells us that work is itself inherently good, not inherently bad. And I think part of what it means to be made in the image of God, to be, to be, to be an image bearer, is, is that we are also called to subdue the earth and rule it. We're called to partner with God in ruling the earth. He says that to, to, to rule over creation. And, and so we have work to do that God has called us to, cultivating and caring for creation, harnessing the earth's raw potential, having families and building communities, working and doing all these things. As God's image bearers, we are participating in His creative work. This is all good. Of course, then Adam and Eve sinned, the fall of man. And now God pronounced a curse. And now because of that, work is at some time, at, at times, difficult and tedious and menial and frustrating. But we see that when Christ returns and restores creation in the new heaven, in the final heaven, the new earth, the Bible says the curse will be lifted. The curse will be lifted. So that leads me to believe, you know, it's sort of a restoration of Eden. That leads me to believe, guess what? We will work in heaven. Some of you are thinking, oh, man. <laughs> I thought heaven was going to be like a resort where I get to put my feet up forever and ever and ever. That sounds boring to me. I think God has work for you to do in heaven. But it will be just as God originally designed, fulfilling, enjoyable, satisfying work. Randy Alcorn wrote a book uh, about heaven. Some of you may have read this. It's very creatively titled, Heaven. Um, and in his book about heaven, he writes, Work in heaven won't be frustrating or fruitless. Instead, it will involve lasting accomplishment, unhindered by decay and fatigue, enhanced by unlimited resources. Our best work days on the present earth, those days when everything turns out better than we planned, when we get everything done on time, and when everyone on the team pulls together and enjoys one another, are, are just a small foretaste of the joy our work will bring us on the new earth. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds good to me. We need to stop seeing work as bad. Jesus said, my father is always working, and so am I. In Ephesians chapter 2, you know, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we have this great, well-known discourse that Paul writes where he says, you know, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. We're saved by, by, God, by, by God's grace through, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then we often don't finish that chapter, which is, which is verse 10, which then goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Paul is saying there is, we're not saved by good works. No, we can't earn, we can't work our way to heaven. It all has to be by God's grace. It's a free gift of salvation. But we are saved for good works. We're not saved just to sit and do nothing. He does, that's not what it's about. <laughs> you know, God says, welcome to the family. And then he says, okay, now get to work. Right? We're, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And that doesn't just mean that he wants us all to go out and tell everyone about Jesus all the time. Yeah, we, we need to do that, some of that stuff too, but it means that we need to work hard and work well at everything we do. Everything. Colossians 3, 23 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether that's work or sports or school or parenting or whatever, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Do it as if you're doing it for Jesus himself. When you go to work, don't think, oh, putting in hours for the company. No, I'm putting in hours for Jesus. When you're making supper for your family. Oh, i got to make this meal. No. You're making this meal as if Jesus is sitting at the table and you're serving Jesus. Right? This is the way we should be thinking. And I just, it's not in my notes, but I'm thinking about that Brian Adams song, right? Everything I do, I do it for you. <laughs> Prince, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Woo-hoo. Great. Um, yeah. So Jesus, everything I do, I do it for you. Um, yeah. So, Think about, as I said, different areas of your life. How this concept of not being lazy and working for Jesus and having that positive attitude about working hard, how that applies to various areas of your life. So obviously, you know, your career, if, if you are a working person, um, we, gotta, we can't be lazy when it comes to our jobs. The Christians in your workplace ought to be the hardest working people in your workplace. If you're lazy and unreliable in your job, you're going to be a terrible witness for Christ at work. And one of the Proverbs says this, Proverbs 10, 26, it says, lazy people irritate their employers and like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Anyone hate getting, you sitting around a campfire and the smoke is getting you, ah, right? So what it says, that's what lazy people are like to an employer and to your coworkers, I would say too. Marriage. Don't be lazy when it comes to your marriage. Invest time in your spouse. So important. I've seen so many marriages that have fallen apart or have grown cold because someone got relationally lazy. You can't do that. Family. Don't be a lazy parent or grandparent. You have a limited opportunity to positively influence your family. You know, nobody ever lies on their deathbed and says, Gee, I wish I spent less time with my family. You never ever hear that. How about our community, the world that we live in? Don't be lazy when it comes to your neighborhood. Be engaged, participate in community events, shine the light and love of Jesus to your neighbors. That was Jesus' most basic command, love your neighbor. Take that literally. How about your relationship with God? Don't be lazy in your walk with God. Blow the dust off your Bible. 
You know, get, get down on your knees and pray. Spend quality time with Jesus. Imagine even 30 minutes less of Netflix if you spend that every day in the Word of God or in prayer or in silence and solitude. You know, the spiritual disciplines are called disciplines because they require discipline. A strong walk with God doesn't just happen. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes doing things that you don't necessarily want to do. But when you do them, you find joy in those things. How about the church and our shared mission together? Another area where we can't be lazy. In most churches, the 2080 rule, right? 20% of the people do about 80% of the work. And I've only been here a month, but I, I would say that's probably true here too. And uh, there are many opportunities for you, all of you, to step up and serve. And I don't know what all those are. I don't have a list in front of me. But if you're interested in serving, if you're interested in stepping up and taking on a new role, doing something new, using your gifts and talents for God's glory to serve the church, we will happily find you something to do. Okay? And in the near future, we're hopefully going to make it really clear, you know, with an actual list or something every week so that you know how you can serve, what you can take your next step into, in terms of serving. Um, I can share with you today that if you are looking to step up and start, start serving today, um, I got a list here this week from Trey. And we've been talking about Trey because we've had the uh, fundraiser yesterday. Um, I had a great chat with a couple of the people involved in Trey this week, and I heard all about what they're doing. Man, this is important work that's happening. Really, really important ministry towards very vulnerable women in our own area who are suffering greatly. And uh, some Sunday we'll have a lot. We'll, we'll say a lot about Trey, but um, they gave me this list: twenty different volunteer needs that they have today, and. Uh, I mean, you might think, well, I don't know how to counsel women. No, it's not just that sort of thing. It's um, fundraising. Maybe that you have a gift for that. Grant writing, uh, answering phones, sending emails, office administration, scheduling, uh, mentoring, grocery shopping, meal planning, babysitting, trans- transportation, horse training, teaching culinary skills, budgeting, recreation, cleaning the house, all these sorts of things. There's like 20 things. So I'm going to leave, I'm actually just going to leave this up here, okay, on this speaker here. And after the service, if you feel like, man, I, I feel like I've got something that I can serve, I can help them out, they need your help. They need your help. And I'm going to leave that there. You can have a look at it. And, uh, and Kevin, who was playing guitar and he's going to be playing piano at the end, he's involved in Trey, and you can talk to him if you want to serve or whatever. I'm just going to leave that there for you. Uh, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25, and it raises the question, are we being good stewards of what God has given us? Are we making the most of the short time we have on earth for his glory? Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in, in Matthew 25... <clears throat> this the story this parable that Jesus tells it says that there's this there's this ruler who who goes away on a trip and while he's away he entrusts his fortune he entrusts his business to three of his servants and so he gives one guy a certain amount of money and he gives the second guy a certain amount of money and he gives the third guy another certain amount of money 
And then he goes away on his trip and he's entrusting them to care for his business while he's away at his business affairs. So the first, the first uh, servant takes the money that he's been given and he invests it wisely and doubles the money. Hey, that's good. The second guy does the same. He invests the money wisely and, and does business and whatnot and doubles that money as well. The third guy, he, well, his excuse is that he's scared. Uh, he's scared of losing the money. This is his, I say excuse. This is one of those, ah, oh, there's a lion in the street. So he says he's scared. Okay, so he buries that money. And then, and, and so it, of course it doesn't double, it's just it's the same. So then the, the ruler returns and he calls these three men in and he, and he wants to give, for them to give an account of, of how he, how they, what they've done with his business affairs while he was gone. And so the first guy comes and he's seen that he's doubled the money and, he, and so the master says, full of praise, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then the second guy comes in the same deal and the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then the third guy comes and he says, master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. You know, you are a very wise, shrewd businessman. So I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. And look, here's your money back. I've, I brought it back to you safe and sound. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Notice he uses the word lazy. That's the real issue. The excuse was, oh, I'm scared. The real issue was he was lazy, didn't want to put in the work. He says, he says uh, if you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gained some interest on it, but you buried it in the ground. And then he ordered, take the money from the servant. And give it to the one with ten bags of silver. That was the first guy. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Proverbs tells us in these little quips, these short little, sometimes funny sayings, don't be lazy. It isn't just a matter of good, wise advice. To Jesus, this matter of what we, of how we use what God has given us, how we steward our time and our talent and our treasure, this is a serious matter to the Lord. To waste time, to waste our talents, to waste the treasure that God has given to us is to squander a gift from God. Instead of, as we are called to, to glorify God. This is our purpose. But instead we squander His gifts. And Jesus indicates this has serious consequences. We need to take it seriously. Paul sums up this lesson in, in Ephesians, uh, I think by what he says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Meaning the time is short. Jesus could come back any minute. We don't know how long we have. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. 
This is a convicting message for me personally, and maybe it is for you too. This is one of those Sundays where it's less amen and it's more ouch, okay? Um, uh, this is one of those for me too. I, though, you know, I tend towards busyness and I appear busy, uh, I also still somehow manage to waste a lot of time. If, I, if you looked at my screen time app on my phone, you might think I maybe should be fired, okay? Um, I, even myself, I'm like, holy cow, how did I just spend that many hours on my phone each day? Um, I wonder how many opportunities I've missed, you know, uh, because of my foolishness, because of my laziness. Let's call it what it is. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. I want to close with um, a video clip, and uh, this is from John Piper. And in the year 2000, he spoke at a Passion Conference. And at the time, John Piper was a relatively unknown pastor. Now today, in Christian circles and in preacher circles, he's a really, really well-known, world-famous author and teacher. But at the time, he wasn't really, wasn't really well-known. But he speaks at this conference to, I don't know, a few thousand um, young adults, teenagers. And the impact of his message that he gave that day was so profound that it really, that's what really launched him into, into, into his fame. Um, so we're just going to share this clip from his sermon, uh, and, and then we will we'll close. Go ahead. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. 
Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the Creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, Look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Let me ask you again. What vision do you have for how you will spend the time you have left on earth. How might God be calling you 